Listen to the invitation of our Lord as we come to His Word. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. What is that food? What's this feast we're being invited into? Listen. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul might live. That's what we're asking for when we come to the Word. That, that we would have the Word of God spoken to us so that our souls might live. We who have no money, have no wine, have no milk, have nothing to offer. We come to Jesus who has everything to offer. Let's pray to that end. Father, thank You that You promise to show up in the midst of Your people you promised to use your word. And Lord, we are desperate for that. And what makes us even more desperate is many show up this morning and we don't even know how desperate we are. Lord, would you open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to hear, to receive, to believe on your word and to be changed by it. That by the word read, sung, and preached this morning, we would be made a little bit more like Jesus today. And a little better equipped to go out and love and serve and proclaim in the name of Jesus, wherever you take us. So Father, would you come and do this heart transforming work in our midst. By your spirit. And for the glory of your name. And we ask it in that strong name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs> As most of you know, I am Joe Slater, and I am the Reformed University Fellowship Campus Minister at JMU. Um, and here's what that means. RUF is the campus ministry arm of our denomination, and we belong together in a presbytery, a network of other PCA churches, our denomination, um, whereby you all have called me to go and serve on that mission field of JMU. It's a school of about 21,000. And so I get to represent not only this church and our denomination, but, but the, the kingdom of Christ there at that campus. Um, so thank you, one, for sending me there. Two, thank you for your prayers. Um, if you would like to know how to pray more specifically for that work, we depend on your prayers. Love to get you on our prayer newsletter list. It's also a missionary work where we have to raise support for that position through churches and, and individual donors. So if you want to hear more about that, you can also find me after the service and, and we can talk more about that. But that's what I do. Um, that also frees me up to come and be a part of things on, on Sunday morning because I don't have a regular pulpit that I'm preaching on a, in, on Sunday morning. So uh, love the opportunity to be here. One other fun fact, I'm on the temporary session of this church, have been for a, about a year. So um, it's been a privilege to serve in that way too.
Well, I like maps. I enjoy reading maps. And I can remember spending hours looking at and studying the road atlas. Do you, do you even know what, it, some of you know what I'm talking about? When we would take trips, because I liked knowing where we were going. I liked having a general lay of the land. I liked being able to make those adjustments to our trip because I knew the lay of the land well enough to make those adjustments. But I've got a confession to make. GPS has made me soft. I've become lazy in my map reading and every now and then a situation arises where I regret that. Because as you know, GPS cannot always be counted on. Well, the Christian life is one long journey. And it's really easy to lose our way by slowly fading off the path or by not moving at all. God's Word is a good corrective for us. It gives us a lay of the land and it keeps us on the way that God would have us go in the Christian life. And as we jump back into 1 Peter, remember that Peter is writing to Christians spread throughout Asia Minor to remind them who they are in Christ and then to instruct them on how to live as followers of Christ. You can really boil it down to those two things. He's telling Christians, like you and like me, who they are in Christ, and then how they're to live as followers of Jesus Christ. Or to put it in the words of Derek from his most recent congregational email, one of the titles we could give to this book is Conduct Becoming the People of God. Conduct Becoming the People of God. And in our text today, Peter's going to give us four imperatives, four commands, or or maybe think about it this way, four non-negotiables for how we're to live out the Christian life. A a roadmap of sorts for our sanctification, for how we do life in this fallen world. Four commands, four imperatives. You'll see them there in 1 Peter 1. We'll start in verse 13 and we'll end at Chapter 2, verse 3. This is God's Word. 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. 
Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So our passage here in verse 13 begins with Peter exhorting us to prepare our minds for action. That that phrase literally means gird up the loins of your mind. In that culture, it would be like saying, tuck in your robe so that you're ready to run. In our day, we would say, roll up your sleeves and get ready. Be a people of action is what Peter is telling us. And along with that, he says, be sober-minded. In other words, live with thoughtfulness and purpose. The Christian life is not one of passivity. It's a life of action. And then he gives us our first imperative. I I told you we're going to go through four of these imperatives. And here's our first one. You see it there in verse 13. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ. There it is. Set your hope fully on the grace of God. As believers, as Christians, our hope is not set on the fragile and fleeting things of this world. You know that, right? Our hope is not on money and power and fame and reputation. But we have set our hope on all that Jesus has purchased for us in his death and resurrection. Things like these, that we are saved from our sins, that we are forgiven, that we are redeemed, that we are adopted, that we are made new, that we have the hope of heaven. That's the hope that we set our hope on. And this hope that Peter's talking about is is not hope how we usually use and think about hope, like a wishful thinking kind of hope. Like, I hope... That when my birthday comes around in September, I'll get a new Ferrari. That's wishful thinking kind of hope. The hope the scriptures talk about is a banking your life, all of who you are, your time, your talent, your treasure, on the rock-solid certainty of God's promises. God has promised all those things that we just talked about. Forgiveness, salvation, redemption, so on. And we base all of who we are on that sure hope. That we have those things in Christ. That's what Peter is saying. That's how we start to live out the Christian life. We set our hope fully on those things. Think of it like pregnancy. Once the pregnancy came 
The pregnancy test came back positive for Terry and, and myself. That, that changed how we then were going to live, didn't it? Terry could no longer enjoy wine at the dinner table. We began to sort through old baby clothes. We set up the crib. We painted the nursery. We got our hospital bags ready. We had friends on call to watch our other kids. And we tried to prepare ourselves mentally and emotionally for those first few weeks and months and sometimes years. You see, the sure and certain hope of a coming baby absolutely changed our lives. And listen to me. The coming of Jesus, the coming of Jesus is a far more certain reality. Will you set your hope on Him and all that He purchased for you at the cross? Will you set your hope fully on Him in a way that actually changes how you live in the here and the now? Brothers and sisters, sanctification, life in this broken and fallen world, it's a long road. And we need our hope set fully on this grace of God. Well, you see Peter's second imperative there in verse 15. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. You also be holy. In all your conduct. The call on the life of every believer is to a holy life. We are to be holy as God Himself is holy. We're to take on the character of our Lord as we follow Him. And so in this life, we strive to be conformed more and more into the image of Christ. And to grow in this holiness and to grow in this likeness to Christ, there's a few things that Peter mentions that we've got to do if we're going to be holy as He is holy. First, look there at verse 14. Peter says, we must not be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. The things that drove me in the past, the lusts, the passions, the sinful patterns, those need to be put to death. I am a new creation in Christ. I have new passions, new patterns, new desires, and they are for Christ and His kingdom. And my day-to-day life has got to start reflecting that priority. Second, look there at verse 17. Peter says we must conduct ourselves with fear throughout the time of our exile. We're strangers and aliens here, aren't we? We're a people living in exile. This world is not our home. We fear God, not man. We live for King Jesus, not the kingdoms of this world. We tremble before God and His Word and not the things of this world. And then thirdly, according to verses 18 and 19, we strive for holiness knowing that we have been ransomed not with perishable things like gold and silver, but we have been ransomed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Could there be, could there be a greater denial of the cross than to be bought, to be purchased out of our sin 
but then to choose to remain in it. Y'all know that's why Jesus was on that cross, right? To deliver us from our sin. And Peter's saying, remember, you've been purchased, you've been bought, you've been redeemed. Don't stay in your sin. Jesus died to rescue you from it. Why would you possibly choose to stay in it? There's a great visual of this from the Old Testament back in the the book of Hosea. Some of you are going to know that story. God called a prophet Hosea to go and to marry a prostitute, Gomer. And that that, that marriage was going to be a picture of God's relationship to His unfaithful people, Israel. And so Hosea obeyed and he went and he married Gomer and they had three children. But after they had had those three children, Gomer left Hosea and went back to her prostituting ways. Again, as a sign of Israel's continued unfaithfulness before their God. And God came again to Hosea and he told Hosea, Hosea, go and take Gomer back to be your bride. And so in that pivotal chapter, chapter 3, Hosea goes down to the public square, down to that slave auction where he saw his wife naked, her shame exposed, up on the auction block for all to see. And Hosea has to buy his wife back. And after buying her back, He said this to Gomer, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to any other man. And so will I also be to you. You must dwell as mine for many days the rest of your life, Gomer. You shall not play the whore. You shall not go after other lovers or belong to any other of them. And so will I be to you. And isn't this precisely what Jesus has done for us? If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been bought by the blood of Jesus. You belong to Him. And He comes and He says to us, you shall not play the whore. Dwell as mine for all your days and live a life pleasing to me. I purchased you. I am the lover of your soul. And out of that, here in 1 Peter 1, he says, be holy as I am holy. Brothers and sisters, give yourself fully to Him. Even those secret and hidden parts. He purchased you. You belong to Him. Peter's third imperative is there in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, here it is, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. The Christian life is not done and cannot be done in isolation. We're redeemed into a family of each other. 
And we're called to live lives of love in this context. And as we talk about love, we can't be satisfied with love only in concept. Love's great as long as it stays in concept, right? Just in theory. Or if we just keep love at the level of being nice or tolerating one another. But that's not love. Y'all know love is hard work. It means committing to one another as family. It means putting up with each other's quirks and awkwardness. It means moving past pettiness and political differences and previous transgressions. It means showing up in the lives of others, not because you like them or they like you, but because Jesus bought them with his own blood and decided to put you all together in a family where he says, good, go love one another. I love doing baptisms. One of the things I do with the family up up front when I'm doing an infant baptism is I'll ask them if I can hold the baby and then I take the baby and I'll show that baby the church family that, that God has brought them into. And I look out and I see all kinds of weird aunts and crazy uncles and wild cousins. And I know their stories. So much brokenness, so much pain, so much weird. And this little one has no idea. And yet, for some reason, God has seen fit to put that little one right smack in the middle of it all. A wise friend recently described our call to love one another in the body of Christ in this way. He said this, we are bound to one another not by our personalities or our personality traits. We are bound to one another through Christ. Do you think your brother is weird? He probably is. Doesn't matter. You're to love him. Do you think your Christian sister is opinionated? Opinionated doesn't matter. One of you probably is. You are to love her. Loving and laboring together under the Lordship of Jesus Christ is what defines a Christian community. Loving and laboring under the Lordship of Jesus Christ is what defines a Christian community. And wasn't it Jesus himself who said that this is the greatest commandment? To love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another earnestly. And for us to do that, for us to love one another earnestly from a pure heart, you know what that also means? It also means there are going to be things that we need to start putting to death. And you don't have to look far in this passage to see what I'm talking about. Look over at uh, chapter 2, verse 1. I think Paul gives us some, some idea of what it looks like to love one another. Here in, in 2 1, Peter says, We must put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And the verb Peter uses here is the same verb they would use for taking off an article of clothing. He's saying if you want to love one another well, you're going to have to take off malice. You're going to have to take off deceit. You're going to have to take off hypocrisy and envy 
and slander. You see, Peter knows that these evils and love cannot coexist. Love will choke out these evils or these evils will choke out love. So can we get real honest this morning? I want you to do a check on your heart. Is there any hint of malice or deceit or hypocrisy or envy or slander? Or what about a critical spirit or a gossiping tongue or unkind words spoken to someone or behind the back of someone? You have a choice this morning. You can take those off. You can put them away. What Jesus purchased for us, remember back first point, first imperative? What Jesus purchased for us is the ability to put those things down. To be forgiven in every one of those things. And to never bring them back. I have a pastor friend who likes to say it's hard to love someone whom you have murdered in your heart. It's hard to love someone whom you have murdered in your heart. You can love your brother or sister by first killing the sin in your own heart. Love one another earnestly. Well, we see Peter's fourth and final imperative there in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 2 where he says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. There it is. Long for the pure milk of the Word. To live a faithful and growing Christian life, you and I have to crave the Word of God. And then as if to emphasize the force of his words, Peter uses an illustration. He says, long for the milk of God's word like newborn infants. You ever held a baby when it was hungry? What was the one thing that was driving that baby at that, point, at that moment? Milk. Got to have it. There's only one thing that will satisfy Do you long for the milk of God's word in this way? Do you crave it? Is it the only thing that will satisfy? Ed Clowney once said, Christians must be addicted to the Bible. Christians must be addicted to the Bible. Is God's word one of your chief addictions? Is it one of your highest priorities? Because listen, If you want to grow in your Christian walk, you've got to long for the pure milk of God's Word. This will be the thing that fuels all those other imperatives of setting our hope fully on the grace of God, of being holy as He is holy, as loving one another earnestly. The Word will fuel all the rest of them. Brothers and sisters, long for the Word. 
love one another, be holy as God is holy, and set your hope fully on the grace of God. This is God's roadmap for all who will follow Jesus. But the journey will not be easy. You will fail miserably in each of these imperatives. But here's the good news for you. The cross of Jesus is big enough to cover all your failings. Past, present, and future. So set your hope fully on Him. And then go out walking and living in obedience. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for the beauty and the joy of having Your Word. Help us to long for it and to crave it, to love it, to be addicted to it. And then, Lord, would that fuel in us a a, a growth, a sanctification whereby we set our hope fully on the grace of God. That that's the very foundation of how we think, how we live, how we talk. That it would transform our lives. That we would be holy as you are holy. That we would put away those secret sins that have us in bondage. And that we would get outside our self-consumed and self-centered selves and, and love one another earnestly from pure hearts. God, would these things be true of us? that we might be lights shining in this world, that the, the world might know that we are your followers because of how we love one another and how we live in this world. Lord, do this good work for the sake of your name and the good of your people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.